You don't want me to be your general manager. I know nothing about this. I was a technician in the field and you're asking me to be your general manager. You're really not asking the right guy. I know I'm not trained for this. I have no education in this. I'm just a stupid technician. I've spent my whole career making fun of office guys. I call them mouth breathing carpet walkers. <laughs> people yep. in the office are idiots. They have no idea what's going on in the field. They have no idea what it takes. Dealing with people is harder than dealing with equipment. It really, really is. Because now your equipment has emotion. And there's no manual, and every person has their own way of being talked to, and yeah, there's no paperwork on that. Uh, what's up, guys? Um, today we got special guest on, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Eddie Barkhurst. What's up, Eddie? What up, man? How's it going? It's going good. Good. <laughs> it's good. How are, you, how are you enjoying your vacation? Dude, it's good. It's nice. I haven't been on vacation for a little bit, so it's good to get down here and the family's never been to Florida. We, we're going to Universal, so we're gonna check that out. I've never been to a theme park. Never been on a roller coaster. Never been never. to Florida. Never. Wow. So this is a lot of firsts in this one vacation. So. Cool. Right on. Yeah. It's good. I don't know about Orlando. Last time I was there, it wasn't very much fun. But oh, Florida's all right. So there's a lot of people there. The uh, uh, Tony, our newest hire, came from Orlando. Oh, yeah. And he said, before I left, he said, you're going to see why I left. He oh. said, traffic's pretty terrible. Um, I suppose if that's the worst, then I'm okay with that. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. It should be good. Right on. Cool. Um, so for those of the people listening that don't know, Eddie is my general manager at my plumbing company, Prospector Plumbing and Heating, all the way up in Fairbanks, Alaska. So he traveled a long way to be here and be on the show. Mm -hmm. Sole reason he took a vacation was to come be on the podcast, I'm this. sure. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so today we're going to go over, like, I want to tell a little bit of your story, like where you came from, so they got a good idea of, you know, what it's like to go from a uh, technician in the field to general manager. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some of your personality traits that I think makes you a good general manager, and then just your experience being a manager, managing the day-to-day -day of a plumbing business. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. So I started I started in this trade in um, 2007. Um, I was, before, before I started in this trade, I was armed security out at a couple of different military bases down in, up in Alaska um, in a couple of different towns. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life at the time. I knew that what I was doing was paying the bills, but I couldn't do it forever. So I started looking for what my career would be. I was pretty good at electricity at the time and because of some projects that I did for the family. And so I was pursuing um, going into the electrician's union. And so I applied there. And went for my interview, and um, I f did not do so good. I felt <laughs> like the interview was trash. Um, it was incredibly awkward, never done anything like that before. Um, but I went through my interview, and I was like, okay, I should be I should be hearing from him soon. Six months went by, and I heard nothing. And um, my father-in-law had a plumbing and heating company that he was trying to move from commercial into more service type stuff. And you were married at that time? 
Married, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, just for a year. Um, He's still married. To still the married same, to the same, same lady. Um, <clears throat> same father-in-law. Uh, she, she, he had this plumbing company, and he was trying to move from commercial plumbing uh, building projects into more service. And he asked her to talk to me about whether or not I would be interested in coming to work for him. And at the time I said, no way, there's no way. I immediately said, no, I've, I've worked for family. Working for family sucks. I'm not doing it. And she said, no, it'd be different. It'd be different. Just they're coming over for dinner tonight. Talk to him, see what it's like. And so he came over and he gave me his pitch and I was kind of a jerk maybe a little bit in that I told him I I said I've worked for family before I know how difficult it is I'm not interested in getting into that again family knows too much about you when you work for them they know yep. how much money you make and then they know where you spend your money because they're in your house and they <laughs> then they have opinions on how you spend your money I'm not doing any of that and he said no no it wouldn't be anything like that and I said, well, I don't even know what you do for a living. I don't know this trade at all. Mm-hmm. He said, he gave me a little bit of a rundown on that. And I said, I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to teach me everything if you want me to do this. And he said, no problem. We're going to get you into this program that will teach you everything you need to know. Um, so you'll do just fine. You'll be fine. Okay, fine. So I, I'll give it a try. And so mm-hmm. I signed up. And uh I joined the the plumbers union then. They were trying to start their own service program. I joined their union and um, started work for, for him at that service company. And a month later, the electricians called me and asked me if I'm ready to go to work. <laughs> I said, dude, I already, I just took a job. I'm working for the plumbers and pipe fitters. And they said, oh, okay, well, if you're looking for, for electrical work, give us a call. Dude, we'll hire you. Aren't you glad that? You didn't take I'm that call. I'm so glad. I was first, <laughs> first, I was pissed because it didn't yeah. work, right? <clears throat> I was trying to be an electrician, and I thought that was way cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I probably, I would probably be doing way better jobs. I'm better at electricity than I am plumbing. I know nothing about plumbing. So being an electrician would fit me a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I'm, knowing what I know now, I'm really glad I didn't become an electrician. They're <laughs> yeah. the worst. <laughs> yeah, uh, you would have had less tattoos. Yeah, less shorter tattoos. beard, <clears throat> and a little, walked with a little more pep in your, a little For more sure. sway in your <laughs> step. Absolutely, yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> Um, Sorry for the electricians that are listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> we're not talking about you. <laughs> Just the other, the yeah. other electricians. Uh, so yeah, uh, started started in the trade then. Um, like I said, I knew nothing. They told me they were going to send me to school, um, and they said it'll be a few months and you'll go to school. And then that didn't happen. Then it got pushed a year, and I want to say it got pushed another year. So I was doing the trade for a couple of years before they actually sent me to school, and then um, I went through almost the same course that the plumbers go through but is a bit more abbreviated because we didn't have to do pipelining and rigging and stuff like that because we weren't going pipelining so um uh i got most of the way through that and then some things happened and um ended up they were going to send me to a a bs job that i didn't want to go do with bs pay 
And I told them I wasn't going to do that. What are my options? And they said, um, they said, well, your options are to take this job or quit. And I said, sounds good. I quit. Yep. And they said, no, 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 we don't want, what's it going to take you to not quit? And I said, send me back to this other contractor. And they said, we're not doing that. And I said, oh, then I quit. So I quit. And then I went back to work for my father-in-law, non-union, which ruffled some feathers. People got pretty upset about that. Um, but I didn't care. I, I didn't have any loyalty to a union, I suppose. I had loyalty to my father-in-law. I wanted to make sure that that was taken care of. I was finally at a point where I was doing good and I was a valuable member there. Um, and so to go somewhere else would be, I feel like it would be a disservice. And so yep. I wanted to stick there and finish whatever I, whatever I was finishing, right? <clears throat> yeah. I just wanted to stick there at his company and help out however I could. Yep. Um, and uh, so I, I went back to work there, did that for a few years, and then his company was kind of winding down and another uh, contractor in town wanted to start their own service company. Um, sheet metal contractor was doing mostly commercial work, yep. um, installing some furnaces, but they wanted to get into residential and commercial service. And so the owner of that company or the manager of that company came to talk to the boss, my father-in-law, um, and proposed that we all pick up there and go to work for them at their new shop. That sounded cool because there was a bigger shop and really well established and they did great work. Um, but they were a sheet metal shop. So I had to right. join a sheet metal union. Yeah. No problem. Fine. I guess that's fine. So I joined the sheet metal union and worked there for, uh, five years doing residential and commercial service, um, mostly commercial at that point. Um, I started out doing pretty much all residential and then moved into mostly commercial. And I got, the better I got, the more difficult projects I took on, the more difficult installs or troubleshooting took place over at Holiday. And then um, <clears throat> was there for five years. And then you started hitting me up, asking me to come work for you. Yep. Which was that a good year, probably a good year of you asking? Uh, at least yeah at least a good year um and i wanted to go work for you mm -hmm. that was it was very tempting and i i really wanted to but your shop was a plumber shop yeah union plumbing shop and i was a union sheet, sheet metal, metal worker yeah and so politically that didn't work nope. um and there was a lot of uh to make it work would cause a lot of heartburn. And I felt like, because my father-in-law was now managing the service department at Holiday, um, I felt like uh, leaving would be, I would be undoing. So I quit working for the plumbers years before because uh -huh. I didn't want his business to suffer. I felt like I was doing some good there. I was, I was instrumental in keeping it going. Um, and then to quit and go work for you would be, I felt like I was going to do some bad stuff, <laughs> right? Like I was going to wreck that company. Yep. yep. Um, 
not that I felt like I was I was the best there and I was the only thing keeping it afloat, but I was doing the majority of the difficult work. And when a difficult <clears> job <throat> came along, they always sent me to it. Right. Or if one guy couldn't couldn't figure it out, they would send me to it. And so then if I wasn't there, what was that going to do? Um, and so that was a lot of hesitation. I didn't want to put them in that position. I certainly didn't want to be responsible for that company shutting down because I left. Yep. And so I was really, really hesitant to go to work for you as a tech. Um, very tempted. What you were setting up was very tempting. You were, you were pursuing excellence, and that was easy to tell from the outside looking in. Like you're, you weren't into doing anything half-ass, and it wasn't ever going to be. I knew it wasn't going to be janky, um, as opposed to the place I was at I was like dude I feel like they're kind of just barely hanging on and there was no it was a terrible environment once I got out of it but yeah how long did you work there for five years five and a half years five and a half years you were there yeah just at holiday Mm -hmm. how long did you like in total did you work for your father-in-law um Let's see, I've been doing it for 16 years now, so 15 of those years working for my father-in-law. Uh, well, I've been, I've been doing this work, I guess, from 07 to 23, mm-hmm. so that's <clears throat> 16 years, so 14 of those years was working for my father-in-law. Yeah. So can we talk about that? Do you mind talking about how your father-in-law ran his business? Oh, a little yeah, bit. We can talk yeah. about that. So because you were working for your father in law and like how many how many guys did he have going at its at its peak when he was service? At its peak, there was probably I think there was ten or eleven guys total. Uh-huh. Um so originally that was a commercial construction, plumbing and heating construction company. And so they were building hotels and stuff like that. And so then when I got in, he was wanting to transition to mostly service. Um, but there was a good mix of guys that were doing like commercial renovation projects. And then probably half of the crew was doing commercial stuff like that. And then the other half was doing service. Gotcha. And then that ended up shifting to, to pretty much all service and and then we would occasionally do a commercial construction project or a remodel. Never a full construction like an empty building, but gotcha. um, remodel. Yeah, would go. We would pick up a remodel project every once in a while. And he bought that business, right? Yeah, <clears throat> and he's because he has an engineer background. Yeah, so I don't quite understand. I don't know what all his. I know he went to to school went to college for engineering but he told me that he stopped just short of getting his stamp whatever that means Mm. um so he probably that means you got your degree but you didn't work under somebody long enough to get your stamp of approval maybe yeah yeah so he does not have his engineering stamp but he supposedly went to all the same college yeah all the same education that engineers get he went through all of that so he buys his own business and it's doing Commercial, it was doing just commercial when he bought it, right? Yeah. And he recognized, okay, there's a lot of money in service. Mm -hmm. At that time, there was probably a big 
like hole in the market for service as well in Fairbanks. I bet you. Yeah, I'm sure. So he actually him and and his oldest daughter's husband, one of his other son-in-laws, um, were doing a service had a service company after hours. Um, that they called Service Brothers, mm. and it was those two would go, mm. would go to, uh, I don't know where I think it was all all residential would go and get residential customers and go take care of whatever it is that they had to take care of after hours when they got off work of the commercial construction job, and so they did that for a time I don't know how long. But then they said, yeah, we need to do this. I want to do this during business hours. I don't want to do this after <laughs> yeah. work. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so they did that for a little bit and then and then decided that they were going to do that. They were going to make that switch yep. uh, from commercial plumbing to service. Gotcha. And so when you started working for your father-in-law, what was your, like, did you guys did hourly rate or what? Oh, yeah. All of it was time and material. So all you would it. go to the customer... Like you would go to the job, and then would you bill the customer, or would the office bill the customer? So when I first started, it all was office bill the customer. We would go to the job, and we would do whatever the work was. Sometimes they would ask what it would cost, but a lot of times it was, it was mostly yeah the heat's broken, and so we would just go and okay, I'll take care of it and go and fix it for however long it took us to fix it. Mm-hmm. And then um, we were given paper paper work orders and we would write, handwrite materials we used and the time we spent there and a brief description, turn that into the office. The office would then um, enter it into the computer, turn it into a bill and send that off. Gotcha. Um, we did that for a long time, but then there was a point, one of the one of the... Uh, dudes that they hired had a whole lot more experience in service than anybody. They hired him, and he said, we should do paper tickets. And so they had paper tickets. Um, They had paper tickets made up with the company name on it, and it was a little bit better, and you left a carbon copy with the customer. We did that for a bit, um, but that didn't work so well either. And so then it went right back to the old-school method of... Handwrite on the printed work order, and then the dispatcher would hand you your work order, and you handwrite all your work on there, and then come back and give it to the dispatcher, and then she would have to enter it in, and yeah, yeah, super slow. Yep. And so when you first started working there, what was their hourly rate? One thirty-five an hour. <clears throat> now, what year was that? Uh, two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. They were at one thirty-five an hour. So two thousand seven, and then I went into business in two thousand. Oh gosh! When I first went into business, it was 2016, and I was cheaper than that. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Almost nine years later, yeah, and I was still trying to be cheaper than that. Mm-hmm. So, back in 2007, at 135 dollars an hour, like that probably sounded like a lot of money to you when you were a technician, right? That was crazy. I would never pay anybody 135 bucks an hour to do anything. Nope, and. But did it seem like, so when you're working for that company, did it seem like they were doing well financially? It sure seemed like it. Did At the it? time, it seemed like it. There was, so perspective has changed a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I never worried. I was like, man, we got open accounts everywhere. And if you need something, you go get something. And that was the attitude was, 
if you need a tool, go get a tool. Yeah. Um, they weren't they weren't um, beating you up because you had to go buy a bandsaw or something like that. Right. Um, and so it seemed like from the outside or from my my little perspective, it seemed like we were doing good and nothing could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, it seemed good. <clears throat> and then it slowly progressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when when did it start feeling like? Did it ever start feeling like things weren't going as good? Yeah, there were times like like I'd be part of some conversation, um, maybe because maybe because I was his son-in-law, so uh-huh. I would I would hear conversation about how that job didn't go so good, or this uh-huh. guy was taking too long on a job, or that should have been wrapped up a while ago, and so I would hear like whispers and stuff like that, and and I. I was loyal enough that I was like, what can I do? I want to do something to help. Uh-huh. Um, that was kind of the, maybe that's just my work ethic in general, but anytime I saw that they had a need, I would try and fill that need. Yeah. And so when I heard that this job wasn't going good, I don't want to be one of those guys that you're talking about. So yeah. what do I got to do to keep my jobs from going south? What what went wrong on that job so that I don't do it on my job? Right. Um, and try to try to help out however however I could. I knew it wasn't all perfect because those conversations were being had, um, but I certainly had no idea yeah. what it would take to make it right. Right. Yeah. So then, fast forward to what year did you guys move over to Holiday Parks? Uh, twenty fifteen. <clears throat> so twenty fifteen. So, geez, eight years later, mm-hmm. you move over to Holiday Parks. And so when you guys moved over to Holiday Parks, did you did stuff get done the same way? Same exact way. Same exact way. Yeah. But at that point were you guys still 135 an hour? Yeah, when I want to say when we showed up there it was 135 an hour. The sheet metal guys because it was a sheet metal shop, they they had their hours their hourly rate printed and hung in the office where all customers walk in could see right. what their rate was. And I want to say they were 124 and we came over at 135. And then that was maybe I shouldn't have said names. <laughs> that was uh <laughs> that was an interesting environment. I was excited to go to work <clears throat> for Holiday Parks because they were yeah. well known in the com- community for being high quality. They were expensive and yep. everybody's opinion was, man, if you I've got the money, go to Holiday Parks. Yep. They make really nice stuff, whatever and it is that you want made. They do. Yeah, they like, really do. They have that whole they're the only ones in town that have the whole custom fabrication shop out in the back. They can literally make anything that you want made. They make some absolutely insane stuff. It's amazing the yes. stuff they turn out for yes. sure. 100%. Um and they were they was sheet metal side was one twenty four an hour. The service side was one thirty five, and they the perception from the sheet metal guy side was they're not more valuable than us. Why is our rate lower than theirs? And so then the sheet metal side bumped up to one thirty five an hour as well. Shortly thereafter, uh-huh. I don't know how long, but shortly thereafter, um, uh, and then we went to work and it. It was nice because I felt like the insecurities of the smaller company were now gone. We right. had this bigger company in in Fairbanks 
they're they're a large company, a lot of employees. Yep. Do great work. I see their vehicles everywhere. They're on all big jobs. Yep. Um, I'm like, dude, we got a lot of horsepower behind this company now. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, the headquarters is in Seattle. It's the first Holiday Parks branch was in Fairbanks in the 1890s. I want to say. Yeah. Um, and then. There's second branch opened in Seattle, but that's kind of the main headquarters, and they do god-awful amounts of work down there, like hundreds of millions of dollars a year, I'm told. Yep. Um, uh, huge amount of work down there. And so then we had the financial muscle behind, because of that, behind us here in Fairbanks, and there's nothing that can stop us, right? We can mm-hmm. do anything. And so I was super excited about that, and I was getting to go see all kinds of stuff I never got to see. Um uh so I was super excited um but a little ways after getting into it I started to see that it wasn't all that great mm-hmm. on the office side the technician side was fine mm-hmm. because I had a brand new van and it was full of tools right. and charge accounts everywhere and I could get what I needed whenever I needed it and there was nothing that could stop me as the technician in the field but then I started hearing about well, that job didn't come in right. That didn't go good. We're way under. We need to be. How can we get these numbers up? And and so then I started to wonder. Shoot, how long is this going to last? I I don't know. I don't like the the murmurs of whatever's going on here. Mm-hmm. But so I worried about it. But I didn't know enough. Yeah. I didn't know how I could fix it. I'm just a stupid technician in the field. What can yeah. I do about it? Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to work there. <clears throat> And when I went to work there, it was like, I remember going into the office like day one and your father-in-law was like, he goes, he basically told me like, yeah, we just need to, we need more people because we need to be able to do more volume Mm -hmm. and that's going to fix all our problems. And I was like, cool. I'll I'll be one more person, I guess. Yeah. Um, And I'd never worked for a service contractor. So I was super stoked. Mm -hmm. I was like, cool. I'm going to go learn how like, service is supposed to be done um yeah and i learned a i learned a lot working there um but i learned a lot about i also learned like okay so they're sur- like they're making it they're surviving is what i kind of figured out mm-hmm. they're just surviving and they're at the time when i joined they were like 165 an hour or something like that i think mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was like wow man they're it was the most i'd ever charged because I had my company twice before, before I went and worked there. So I did mm-hmm. service for myself, never worked for a legit service contractor. And then I remember thinking, okay, they're 165 like they're $30 an hour more than I was charging mm-hmm. when I was last billing out. So they must be, you know, making... Just breaking in money. Making good money. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a nice new van. Uh, you had all the tools you needed. Your van was well stocked. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And I was like, cool, this is going to be rad. And then I, I started to realize, oh, they actually aren't making any money. They're just, they're, <laughs> they're just like yeah. making payroll. And I don't even know if they made that, to be honest with you. Right. Um, it almost seemed like the sheet metal side of the business is really what floated everything. Mm-hmm. On the service side, I still don't know, I still don't understand why they had it there. Why they had the service department there? Yeah. Yeah. Or if it made just enough money to like cover building payments or oh, some covered some overhead or what, I don't know. I'm not sure. But it didn't seem like 
we, you know, there were times where we weren't very busy and then, I don't know, just didn't, didn't seem like that much. And I remember mm-hmm. your father-in-law telling me we did, I think it was 1.8 million that they did and he wanted to hit 2.8. He needed just a few more guys to do that. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, that's crazy. Like those are big numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I remember starting my own company again later on and then we hit bigger numbers and i was like whoa <laughs> it's possible <laughs> wow yeah um but yeah it was it was a good experience going and working there because i learned like because we were doing like i was plumbing a house and then i was going and doing service work and i remember seeing like we were plumbing this house and then the service work would kind of get the back end of the deal mm-hmm. because the house took priority because we'd get more billable hours there <clears throat> which made sense but then we weren't really serving the customer well. And I always felt like there was this huge lack in our town for people that would actually go just service the residential customer. Mm-hmm. I remember, and I tell this story a lot, there was a, a guy that called me on the phone when I had my company the second time. Because mm-hmm. I started twice and then shut down twice. Because I was the first time I was 120, the next time I was 135. Maybe I jumped to 140. Um, and each, both times I made less than I would make if I just worked for somebody else. Sure. So I knew like it costs like 160,000. It was like what I would make in total if you included all my benefits, all that kind of stuff. And so when I went to work for your father-in-law and we were doing one, he did 1.8 million, I was doing the math in my head and I'm like, how does this work? It doesn't make sense. Like. I know these guys. I know what these guys cost. Mm-hmm. The math isn't adding up. Um, but so back to my story here. I this guy called me and he's like, "Hey, I got a toilet flapper I need replaced." And I told him, "I'm like, dude, I have other work going on, and like, honestly, for me to come do a toilet flapper, it's not worth my time." Right. And he's like, "What do you mean?" And I'm like, "Well, even if I go and I charge you a one hour minimum." at $140, and then I charge you five or 10 bucks for a toilet flapper. I'm only making 150 bucks. By the time I drive there and drive back to another job, it's taking an hour, hour and a half out of my day. <clears throat> mm-hmm. When I could be going to jobs that I'm billing out four, five, six, seven, eight, sometimes multiple day jobs, where I get to bill out way more money. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he was like, hey, I'll literally pay you whatever it takes to get you out here to get this flapper changed. And I ended up not going, but I remembered that. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work for Holiday Parks, and I remember like thinking about, okay, the service side is getting the back end because we're concentrating on this new construction stuff. I was like, man, there's really nobody just solely focusing on service. Mm-hmm. There was actually one company at that time, Beckley, was kind of doing it, right? Yeah, they came in and... And took they, that town over. They did, and they kind of gave me a glimpse of like what was possible. Mm-hmm. And so then when I when I stopped working at Holiday and I started, um, man, there was a gap there where I went to work for somebody else. But then I went and started Prospector, and I finally got my hourly rate fixed. And this, I remember people would call me for toilet flappers, and I remembered that guy, and he was like charge me whatever you want, whatever you got to get out here and get this toilet flapper fixed. Cause he'd called like 10 or 15 other plumbers. And they all and said the same thing. Nobody wanted to come fix this flapper mm-hmm. because nobody was charging enough to make it worth their while. Um, 
And it was like that aha moment of, oh, we just have to charge enough to make this worth our while, and then we can go fix all this stuff that nobody else wants to touch. Yeah. And that's what we built our whole business off of, mm-hmm. basically, right? The pain and suffering factor yeah. goes yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So <clears throat> you're working for your father-in-law, and then I start this other company, and I think we had like... I probably had seven vans going and like five guys going the whole time I'm bugging you to come over. Daily, it seemed like. Yeah. If it wasn't daily, it was it was four or five times a week you were talking to me. Yeah. You never wanted to, which I understood. It's not that I didn't want to. I really did. I wanted to really bad. It's just the I was I was afraid of the political mess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I got. And then so I'm bugging you, and I I didn't I didn't have like the idea of you being general manager. Um, I just knew you were a really good technician. And then I was like, um, man, if Eddie was over here in this system that I've built, mm-hmm. I know that he would thrive in it, and he would do really good. And that was what was tempting to me because I <clears throat> that whole time you were talking to me, asking me to come work for you, but then at the same time, in those same conversations, you were telling me what you were building. And and I'm like, damn, uh, always comparing that to what I'm working under. Yeah. I'm like, damn, I bet that works good. Oh, sh- I never even thought about that before. That probably works good. Yeah, and it just makes sense, mm-hmm. right? So rather than billing by the hour, we're giving a customer a price up front. Which I'd never done before. Rather than just guessing on her hourly rate, we're like, calculating it with math mm-hmm. and science not science but math right <laughs> math and like real logic. numbers logic yeah. right <clears throat> um yeah and then really focusing on just serving the residential customer like those are probably the the big ones there like mm-hmm. we started flat rate pricing we started finally charging enough to actually be profitable mm-hmm. we were probably the third ones in town to start doing that and then um yeah, and then we just started focusing on one customer instead mm-hmm. of trying to split between construction, new construction, commercial service, residential service. Right. We went all in on residential service, mm-hmm. which is cool. So then to get you to come over, so I'm bugging you for like a year, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then finally I'm getting to the point, I have five guys. Um, we're coming up on busy season, We've got busy season what, from like August to December mm-hmm. is busy season because it's starting to get cold. Everybody wants their heating equipment tuned up. Yep. Everybody's waited till the end of the summer to fix whatever. Mm-hmm. They've been goofing off all summer. Now they're like, okay, I need, finally need to get this thing fixed to my house. So we get swamped from August to December. We're just, it's a madhouse. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in, when did you start? October. October 4th, yeah. Yeah. So we're starting to get a madhouse. I know I've got two more guys coming on in October. And I'm like, I listened to, I remember I listened to an interview with uh, Ken Goodrich. Mm-hmm. And he was like talking about, because um, he goes in and he buys these businesses that are that are old, that are underperforming. The owners made a good paycheck their whole life, but they don't have... They didn't put anything away for retirement, and their business isn't really worth a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So he goes in and he he basically buys them and says, "Hey, I'll give you a hundred grand down, and I'll give you a hundred grand a year for the next ten years." And it's 
and it's a cool deal for the owner because they get more money than what their business is worth. And then Ken Goodrich gets to take this business, rebrand it into his Gettle brand, mm-hmm. and basically have a one-up, you know, a leg up, because he's got he's starting with something instead of nothing. Sure. And uh, I remember, you know, he goes in and he basically gets the owner out of there. Usually goes in and cleans up shop, sells all the old vehicles, brings in a new fleet of vehicles. And then he brings in a manager, mm-hmm. and he was talking about what he looks for in a manager. And he looks for somebody who's systemized, somebody who's meticulous, um, and somebody who's like a no BS kind of natural, natural leader. Nobody's gonna walk over him, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, dang, that's Eddie right there. Like that's Eddie to a T. And so that's what first sparked the idea of like, I need Eddie to come be my general manager because I started to recognize like I was playing general manager and owner at that time and business was starting to get messy because mm-hmm. as you, you grow your business, it starts to get messy and somebody's got to go clean it back up. And I didn't have time to play cleanup and be general manager. It wasn't going to happen. <clears throat> and so that's when I... I don't remember, how did I first pitch that to you of coming over and being general manager? You called me, uh, same type same type of conversation. You were just talking about some of the changes you were doing, mm-hmm. you, were, you were about to make, you were making or about to make. Um, and you said, so I'm thinking about, uh, you said, so at seven guys, I'm gonna need a general manager. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, okay. No idea where you're going with that. I've never been. And to you, Nobody you probably ever. just thought of what your father-in-law was at the company you were working at, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen <clears throat> managers. I've seen how good or bad they can do, how, what good they could do or what bad they could do. You're telling me you're going to need a general manager. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what? Well, interesting. Uh, figure you're going to ask me to be a tech again. Um, and you said you're thinking about having me do that. And I said... What? No, <laughs> no way. You don't want me to be your general manager. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, I barely finished high school. Um, one could say I didn't really finish high school. Um, I was homeschooled, quote unquote, use that loosely in high school. And as long as I, as long as I was quiet, during ninth and tenth grade, I didn't have to do my homework. Mm-hmm. So, like ninth and tenth grade, I did nothing, and then eleventh and twelfth, we were trying to cram my education into those. And it, I barely. It let's just say it helps when your mother is the principal of your school. <laughs> um, yep. uh, so I barely finished high school. Um, I didn't even know that this was a profession until until I started in two thousand seven. Before that, if if our equipment, heating equipment broke, we were in the crawl space banging on it until we got it to work, right? right. Um, so I had no idea this was even a profession. And then I find myself in it, and now this dude who's been calling me over the last year telling me all of these changes that he's making in his company, um, asking me if I'll come run his company, you got the wrong guy. You don't want me to do any of this for you. I know nothing about this. Um, and, and I love the idea of it. I'm getting to be an old dude and I'm, I shouldn't, I'm starting to think 
ahead? Like, what are my joints going to be like? Be like in ten years? Should I get out of the field? Um, yes, that would be great, but I don't know nothing about how to be a manager. So, I don't know. That seems like a stretch. Um, we finished our conversation. I called, or I, I was just getting home at the time. I talked to the old lady about it, and she's always she's she's too nice. She's a very nice lady. She told me that I would be great at that type of job mm-hmm. for reasons. And I don't believe a word she says because she's nice. Yep. She's just got to be nice. Um, <clears throat> don't believe a word she says because I've got no experience doing this. You've picked the wrong guy. This is not going to work. This will not benefit you. But I like the idea of it. Uh-huh. It sounds really good. And it sounds like it's going to be good money. And it sounds like it would be, like I said, when it when you talked to me about being a tech for you, it sounded amazing because what you're building is an environment of excellence where where you want everyone there to be the absolute best that they can be. And that's what I want to be around. Yep. Um, that's not what I was around in, at Holiday, but that's what you're building. God, it's so tempting to go over there and do that. Yep. Um, but the political mess, so I probably better not. And now you're asking me to be your general manager. I want it, but I don't deserve it. Like I'm not, I shouldn't be there, you know? There's some there's there's definitely somebody that's better qualified to do that than me for sure. Um, so I was hesitant. But you pitched it to me and I said, dude, I actually I really hope you 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 asked me if I'd be into it once you got to seven guys, and I was like, dude, I hope he gets there because I do kind of want to do that, but I don't know that I have it in me to do it. So uh-huh. I'm interested. And then and then you you said uh, once you finally got there, you said um, I, you wanted to take me and you said me and the old lady out to dinner, or me and my wife is what you said. I call her my old lady. Um, and so we made plans to go out to dinner. But then I brought my daughter. So that wrecked reservations. They didn't have a table at that oh, first yeah. place. I first. remember that. Yep. Um, so we ended up at Thai food. We ended up going to Thai food, um, uh, which was great. Um, and then that's where you guys kind of delivered your pitch, what it, what it was you're going to offer me to do this job. And I didn't listen. I didn't listen to any of it. (laughs) I didn't listen as close as I should have. Uh What do you mean by that? So you told me again, where I'm coming from, I was a technician in the field. But I didn't even know this was a profession until I got into it. So now I know it's a profession. And you're asking me to be your general manager, but I don't know nothing about that. So you're really not asking the right guy. I know I'm not trained for this. I have no education in this. I barely finished high school. I'm just Uh a stupid technician. I've spent my whole career making fun of office guys. Um, I called them them mouth-breathing carpet walkers. (laughs) (laughs) People in the office are idiots. (laughs) They have no idea what's going on in the field. They have no idea what it takes, um, was my thought. And then during that dinner, you told me what my responsibilities would be. Um, You told me you, you were fair, and you told me what all I should expect. But really, the only thing I heard was... The technicians, when they need tech support, you're going to provide them with that tech support. Perfect. I'm good at that. Yeah. If, if that's the job, I can do that. Yeah. And so I kind of, like I heard what you said, but I kind of ignored it. Uh-huh. Um, 
and really only listen to the you're going to pro- provide tech support. Or maybe I took comfort knowing that's something I know I can do. Yeah. And so that'll be my main focus is 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 I'm going to provide tech support for his guys when they I've got more experience than than all of they do in the field. Um, so I'm comfortable there. I can provide tech support. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what I I guess I went into it only confident in that. Um, and then, and then I accepted the job and started, gave, put my two weeks in at holiday. Actually, let me back up. I didn't put my two weeks in. I told you that I would accept the job. And then I said, now I got to figure out how to quit working for my father-in-law. Um, and there's a lot there, a lot of history there. And, and we went through a lot of stuff and, and, he helped me in that he gave me an opportunity in a field that I knew nothing about. He knew yeah. I knew nothing about it. And so I, I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, kept you employed for Kept me employed 15 for years. 15 years. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that I wasn't a flawless employee. Yeah. Um, and I know that not all my jobs went good, but he kept me employed there anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and so I felt like I owed him the loyalty of staying there. Yeah. Um, and I, I knew that severing that relationship would be difficult. Um, but I, I, I was on a job and he showed up, my father-in-law, the service manager showed up on that job. And I've been going through my head all day about this conversation I just had with Jared and his wife and, dude, how am I going to do this? And, and this is stressing me out. I don't know what to say. And the conversation, there was like a natural pause in the conversation. And I said, so uh, Jared offered me the general manager position over at, over at Prospector. And he said, really? And I said, I said, yeah. And he said, you should take it. And I was like, dude, <laughs> that's, that was a lot easier than I expected. That was mm-hmm. a huge relief because I I worked this scenario up in my head that he was gonna, um, that he was gonna panic or or the business was gonna suffer because I was gonna leave. And I was like, man, I can't be the guy responsible for doing that to him, especially yeah. after all that we went through. So he's gonna he's gonna freak out. The business is gonna suffer, and they're gonna close. And if the business closes, then so I built this this big scenario in my head, and he said, "You should absolutely do it. That's the next that's the next progression in your career. You should absolutely do it." He said he couldn't he couldn't give me that opportunity at holiday, so I should absolutely take this route. So hmm. that was a huge that relief, made it easier, huh? dude. That was a huge relief. That was <laughs> yeah, that was a lot easier. Yeah. So, <clears throat> which is not. I mean, he's a nice guy. So. Very nice guy. Yeah. Generous to a fault. Yes, very generous to a fault. So then, <clears throat> so obviously that was a tough decision to make. What were the things, like for the guys who listen to this and they're th- they got they need to attract a general manager to their business? Likely they're trying to get somebody who is, you know, wants to strive, wants to do good. They're usually working for somebody else. What are the things that made you? Like other than just more money, um, like because you could have looked at me and said, "Oh, he's only been in business a year. Like, 
what are the chances this is all going to flop six months from now or a year from now? Right. And then all the money in the world doesn't matter at that point. <clears throat> I'm on a sinking ship. What are the things that gave you the confidence to like actually make that jump? Um, your, I know your quality of work mm-hmm. and I knew that you, um, you were not interested in being okay at something, um, which is great because I'm not either. I get offended if somebody says, yeah, he's pretty okay. He does pretty okay work. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's an all right tech. Yep. That pissed me off. Um, because I worked my ass off to be way better than just okay. Um, and that's your style too. You're not interested in doing just okay. Um, you're interested in becoming excellent. And I felt like at my last job, they were just fine with doing just okay. Just okay. And and I hated it. Like I yeah. wanted to push people to be more, to be better. We can do better than this. What's the problem? Why aren't we? Why didn't that job go good? So what do we got to do to make it go better the next time? And mm-hmm. and and there were plenty of times where I felt like I was the only one that was that was pushing this company, and it was not my responsibility to be pushing, but I was the one that was pushing for these performance metrics to be hit, and and that was that was incredibly annoying. But after all the conversations that me and you had been having after you were starting Prospector Up, I was like, that's not the environment over there. I know it's not. He doesn't right. want to do just okay. He doesn't want to be pretty good at it. You know, I want to just kind of want to be one of those right in the middle guys, not interested. I yep. wanted somewhere where I could go and I could, I could be the absolute best that I could possibly be. I yep. thought of, I was trying to do my best. And I feel like I was doing really good, um, but I wanted to find out what my absolute best was, and yep. I couldn't do that where I was anymore. But I felt like what you were building would allow me to be able to do that over there. And I was really looking to – I felt like I was right there at the perimeter, at the very edge of what I could do, and I, and I wanted there to be more. I know yep. I can't be peaking at, at the time I was mid-30s, this can't be the top dude because uh-huh. I've retired in 30 more years. Yep. I can't be at the top right now. Um, and so I was always looking for something more, but I had no idea where it would be. I thought right. it was a different career path, not even not something in a trade. If I really wanted to do something and peak later in life, it's a whole different career. Right. Um, and so what you were talking about sounds like, dude, that sounds like a whole lot more room to grow into I'm into that for sure. Nice. Um, although I knew I wasn't qualified and I had no idea what I was doing. And there's, so there's plenty of room to grow, but I had no clue. <laughs> Welcome to the boat. <laughs> Welcome to the club, Captain. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So. so then you talked to your father-in-law, you quit your job. Did you give him two weeks notice? Is that what you gave him? I gave him two weeks. Um, and... Uh, he said, okay, so in those two weeks, what I want for you, for you to do then is to wrap up all these jobs that you had started. And I said, sounds good. There was a couple, there was one, uh, I was on a refrigeration job at the time. Um, and then there was an air conditioning job, uh, out on base 
that we had just finished the year before that they wanted us to undo and then redo temporarily. Um, and then there was a couple of other jobs that I just had to wrap up. Um, and so he just asked that I, that I could wrap those up in the next two weeks. And I said, yeah, no problem. I can take care of that. Um, I got the, all those wrapped on, on Friday, got my van cleaned out and turned in. And then Monday I started at prospect or Monday, October 4th. I want to say it was. Okay. So then day one, you come in, I had no idea what your job duties even looked like at that point. I just knew that <clears throat> I need Eddie to take over what I'm doing so that I can go do other things. And so how did we roll that? Like day one, like Monday meeting. Yeah. And I just kind of sat there with you, didn't I? So you conducted the meeting and I just kind of hung out at the back uh-huh. and, and that's where you introduced me to everybody mm-hmm. and, and, told me or told them that I'm going to be the GM. And so we're going to start transferring everybody's everything that they're relying on you for. They're going to start relying on me for. And I also had no idea what my job description was. When I look back on that, it's so funny because that probably scared the crap out of me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It scared the crap out of me. Like I, I was, I was very good at my job as a technician, uh-huh. um, and I took a lot of pride in that. Yeah, um, I was very good, and people, everybody there, yeah, every service guy at the company that I worked for called me if they had if they ever met trouble. Yep. They called me to get them out, and then there were other guys that were doing um, sheet metal that would call me and say, "Hey, man, I've got this issue with this thing. Can you come look at it?" Yep. And so I was like, I felt like I was bailing a lot of people out, which is good. It, felt good to be king, right? Yep. I was at the very, very top. And then, um, which was all by design. That's what I wanted. Um, uh, and I was, I was, I was heavily relied upon over there. Yep. Um, and then I come over to prospector and my title is general manager, but I don't know what I'm doing. Right. So title wise, maybe I'm at the top, but knowledge of my job i was at the bottom i had no idea what i was doing dude <laughs> yep. i was i was a complete idiot again at my job and i hate i remember the days where i was a complete idiot as a technician and i hated it yep um i hated being a complete idiot and and embarrassing myself in front of the customer or other techs or whatever yep but that's exactly where i was at prospector again and i'm like okay just just pretend like you know what you're doing and everyone around you is going to be like, Oh, he knows what he's doing. Yep. But I had no clue. I had no idea. So was it like day two or three? Was it day three? I, I let you <clears throat> sit there by yourself. It was day two. Day two. So, so <clears throat> day one, you kind of went over a lot of the basics of what it, what it is that I'm going to be doing paperwork. I had to fill out to start employment there. Yep. Um, and then just, showing me what it is you do during the day so I can get an idea of what it is I'm going to have to do. Yep. Day two came around, and I want to say it was afternoon time in Prospector's office. My little office is kind of walled off in the corner by myself, and you were sitting back there with me, and then you stepped away to take care of something, and I was back there for far too long by myself. (laughs) I had enough time to sit and think, and I I sat there like head in my hand saying, dude, what the hell did you do? 
maybe you can get your job back. Maybe you can go. They'll take you back over at holiday. You don't belong here. You have no idea what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You've had a day and a half to figure it out, and you know nothing. Uh-huh. What an idiot. I felt like such an imposter. I remember I made fun of office people, and now I, <laughs> I can't become one. I have no clue what I'm doing. Yep. Um, and and I was like, if I had been left alone with my thoughts for too much longer, I may have made a decision. Yeah. Because I I really felt like I did not belong. I had no... I am in no position in my life to be an authority over anybody. I never had any desire to be an authority over anybody. Yeah. I control my life and my day and what I do and how my job goes, and that's all I ever wanted. I did not ever want to be in charge of anybody. Um, the, the money's nice. The perks are nice. Sounds great. Environment of excellence, blah blah blah. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't belong here. I need to go back to where I was king, you know, and and now, like I said, in title I was king supposedly, but I in knowledge of his job I was the lowest guy on the totem pole, no clue, and I was looking at the the dispatch board, and seeing how behind we were getting. Like a job ends up going longer, and so now we got to reschedule this guy. And I said. Uh, I think you were in the shop. Maybe I called you. I don't remember. Dude, I would serve you a lot better by going out in a truck. Just send me out in the field because then I'll be the best again. I know what I'm doing. I can fix all of this. This is residential. This mm-hmm. is easy. I can do it all. Yep. And he wouldn't let me go. Hell no. He <laughs> <laughs> would not let me out in the I don't want to sit back in that seat. <laughs> so yeah. at what point in time were you like, because you, you come in, you're like, cool, I'm going to go do this new job, and then you're like, oh, shit, I <laughs> made a mistake. At what point were you like, <clears throat> okay, I just got, this is just like anything else, I got to figure this out? Or, or like, what point was that, and then, like, and what was it? So, I don't think we've ever talked about this. Yeah, I don't know either. I've heard the previous story, but. So, so, I went home that night, and I was, I was talking to the old lady about that, and I was like, dude, I do not belong there. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And like I said before, she's a nice lady, so she says she's the sweetest person in the world, and she's my biggest fan. Yeah. So she was giving me all the encouragement that she could muster, and I think that she believes it. She believes that I can do anything, mm-hmm. which your wife should, right? Right. Um, She's smart. I think she knows. She's you and Christelle saw something in me that I didn't. I didn't feel like I possessed, and my wife sees stuff in me that I don't feel like I possess either. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, she said, you, you, you can handle all of this. It's not that. It's not that bad. You don't yep. know. You didn't know what you were doing when you started as a tech in the field. You'll figure it out, yep. just like you did then. And so I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a quitter. I don't quit anything. So, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to figure it out. I just, I do feel incredibly uncomfortable, um, not knowing what it is that I should be doing. And so, um, I've encountered that a ton in the past in the field and my way around that is just through education. So, so during that first week I knew 
that I had to get some sort of book. That's how I survived in the field. Every time I come across something I couldn't fix, I go home and I find a book on it and I read to figure out what it is that I don't know that I need to know to get over that problem. And so that's what I did there too. (laughs) Listen to the old lady and history has proven that I can do that. And so listen to the old lady and okay, fine, I'll go back and I'll give it another go. It's been a rough few days, but I'll figure it out. And so I got some books to start, to start looking at what it, or not books. I started looking, digging through stuff, um, on, on this website I use, uh, HVACRschool.com. They're a great reference. Um, they aren't, they're not paying us, but they should. Um, go on to HVACR school, and they've got some management stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started digging through that, like, okay, what's it going to take for me to be, to be the lead here that I need to be um, in order to run this company? And yeah. digging through some of that give me a little bit of, uh, whatever I needed to calm myself down just to make it through because that was that was a rough first week, dude. Yep. I didn't think I was going to make it. I don't think I should have been there. <clears throat> and You shouldn't have asked me to do that because I had n- no faith in myself at all. Yeah, but now look at you. I think you're doing excellent. And I I couldn't imagine, like I don't, I wouldn't have known anybody else to put in that seat. Like <laughs> you're, you're the only, you're the only one that I know that I could put in that seat and you would go home and find a book on how to do it better. And that's what makes you good at it. I believe. It's just the willingness to go, okay, this is my job now. I have to be good at it or I'm not, I'm not going to accept not being good at it. Right. And so I'm going to go home after work and I'm going to figure out how to do this job well. And you continue to do that. And you've done that since the day I hired you. That's I, what that's what makes you good at it. I <clears throat> hate the idea of being inadequate at anything I yeah. take on. Yep. Um, like I said in the field, it happened all the time when I was fresh and new in the field, and and I get shown up by the homeowner. That should never happen. No technician yeah. should ever get shown up by the homeowner. And so there was plenty of area for me to improve there. And but it took, dude. I was like all stressed inside it took a lot to for me to calm down and look past that and say this is just another challenge like you faced your whole career you can figure it out yeah um and i didn't even know you and christelle both said that i ha- i possessed traits that i had i didn't see in myself so why would i believe that i could do this yep but yeah, it took it took some people calling me down before I could before I could see that in myself. Yep. So <clears throat> let's get into like you have that realization, you accept the fact, okay, I gotta get good at this. What are some things you've done to become a better manager? What are some of the books you've read, some of the experiences you've had? So I read um a first book I ever read about this was Raving Fans, mm-hmm. um, which is a great book, easy read, um, really good. Um, they break it down, make it super simple to understand on what it is that we need this business to be yeah. and, and wh- how we need our customers to think of us. Yep. 
turn them into raving fans. Um, then I read uh, One Minute Manager, um, uh, which I should reread. Um, was it? <clears throat> so when you read Raving Fans, was it hard for you? Because when you came over, you went from being a technician in the field, charting 165, to I think at the time we were, I want to say we were at a, like 395 when you came over. Mm-hmm. Were you? Was that a shock? Dude. That was a huge shock. That so then, was that might have been day one that we talked about that. Yeah, and so and basically what I did is I walked you through the numbers and the math, right? Yeah. So what I, uh, yeah, I don't know how deep you want to get into that. As deep as you want. Uh, don't uh, care. So so I day one you started talking to me about just how the business operates, day to day operates, and and you told me what how we charge flat rate and and how all the estimating goes and then the job gets sold and all of that stuff and then and then you told me what the hourly rate is we don't really have an hourly rate but we have to figure out based on expenses and how much work we can do a year and it gives us an hourly rate um and i said how much is that i can't remember exactly what the number was and i said I remember saying to you, you're going to have to sell this to me. You're going to have to make me a believer because I don't, I would never pay that kind of price to have anybody come and do anything at my house at that price. And you said, you told me that, that, uh, don't worry, I'll tell you, I'll explain it all to you. Um, but you're worth it. And you started, you start, you took that route of, of as a technician in the field, that is what you are worth. You are yep. worth that much money, at least that much money, uh, to do the work that you do. Yep. Um, and and there was a lot of internal struggle. Like I'm, I want to hear what you have to say, and I want to understand it from your perspective because I had no idea how to run a business. Right, I was just a tech before, um, but the way that it was done before, or the way that I understood it to be done before, was. 180 degrees different than what you're doing right now. Yep. Um, we charged by the hour. The customer knew what the hour was. It was in a framed sign on the wall. Right. Um, and every time that rate changed, the old one came out and the new one's printed off and put in that frame. And everyone yep. knows what the hourly rate is as soon as you walk in. You tell them over the phone. If the customer asks, you say it's going to be about X number of hours times this many dollars. And you can write the estimate to the customer yep. while you're on the job. And this was completely different. Um, and I was like, man, I don't I don't know that I understand how this can work the way that we've always done it. And and I caught myself in my own head the way that we've always done it. But you remember all those conversations of how that job didn't go good and we need more people and we're not making the money we should and overhead is this much and we yep. need to do more volume and maybe there's something to this. You need to just listen and learn whatever it is that, that he's got to say. Maybe there is something to it. And I fought it for a little bit. Like I didn't like it. I wouldn't pay anybody that price to come and do that type of stuff at my house. Yeah. But I did all everything on my own. Yeah. I had all kinds of time. And as a technician in the field, I had very little money. Um, uh, I was making as much as I could make, and I was just 
doing my best to live within my means, and I didn't have that kind of money to throw around, or I thought. Right. Um, uh, and I did it all myself. Um, but it took a bit. The math is easy. It's a simple math problem yeah. to figure out yep. why it costs what it costs. And the thing that I realized is, dude, you've been undervaluing yourself big time. Isn't it weird how simple of a math problem that is? <clears throat> and it's the it's your head that gets in the way. Absolutely. It's just head trash. It's like I can't there's no way I can charge that. Mm-hmm. Like so many people think they can't charge. I always preach you gotta be at least four hundred an hour because it's just math. Just yeah. simple math. I never have charged that much. Yeah. But every time I've been, all technicians get asked to do side work for somebody and they yep. want to know what it costs. And and so then you're thinking, okay, let's see, materials is this. I'm going to be here about this much time. And you come up with the price that it should cost. And then you tell your buddy because you're doing it for your buddy or your buddy's buddy. Yep. And you're like, damn that's going to be 800 bucks. And you like pre cringe on their behalf when you tell them what it's going to cost. Cause you know, the reason they're asking you is they want a sweet deal. And so yep. then you just like try bring your price down. But as soon as they agree to whatever that number is, you know, in your head, this is not worth it to give up my weekend or right. the next several weekends. Yep. Or why am I working? I, I make 52 bucks an hour straight time at work. And I'm selling my work after work for less than that. Why yep. in the hell am I doing this? Well, you're not paying taxes on it, so really, no bullshit. Yep. You undervalue. I was undervaluing everything. So then my fix was I stopped doing side work. I just won't do side work. Yeah. That wasn't a fix. I was just you still undervalued. I still undervalued yeah. myself for sure. Yeah. And I let people undervalue myself. They tell me I need you to come and sell my boiler. I'll pay you twenty five bucks an hour cash under the table. Yep. Okay, I'll come do it. God, this sucks giving up my nights and weekends uh, yeah. until it's all. I let them undervalue, and then like I let that affect what I thought my value was. This yep. guy's willing to pay twenty five bucks an hour, not more. Really, that's probably what you're worth. Yep. And it was that's wrong. That's way wrong. Hey, if you want to take your plumbing business to the next level, you're going to want to join our coaching program over at Wealthy Plumber, where you can get everything you need to grow a multi-million dollar plumbing company, including pricing calculators, SOPs, email campaigns, and the whole nine yards. If you want to check it out, go to wealthyplumber.com. That is wealthyplumber.com. 100%. So <clears throat> I often think like like our hourly rate, it's not really an uh I think sometimes maybe we should call it something else Agreed. because it's not really an hourly rate. It's a metric that we can measure that we can use to price our services. And mm -hmm. the only reason we use that metric is because that's how the software that we use operates. Mm -hmm. You put in hours and materials on a job and then it spits out a price. And mm -hmm. so you have to feed it an hourly rate and how many materials. <clears throat> and so, a lot of people will just call around and figure out, oh, what's the going rate, mm -hmm. which I've determined is the going rate is how you go broke. If so, if you want to go broke, charge the going rate, whatever mm -hmm. that means, because um, most plumbing businesses aren't profitable. And so 
what we've done instead is we said, okay, this is what it costs us to run our business. Now we have to figure out how to boil this cost down to an hourly rate that we can put into this software. It'd be nice if you can do it every <clears throat> transaction with a customer and figure out the fraction. Of, yeah. Like, so if, if you do 1,000 transactions a year and your expenses is this, every customer pays one one-thousandth. Yeah. But that's not the way that we measure our days. Right. Exactly. So we measure it in hours. It yep. has to be thought of as an hour somehow. Yes. But it's really just a metric that we are, even the way that, so like we, we build our tasks in Service Titan for our price book and we give the task an hour value. But even that is just a, it's just a metric that we're using. It's just a number we're using to say, okay, this is worth this many hours, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's all relative. And based on that, we know by tracking it, how many of those hours we sell, right? Mm -hmm. And because we sell so many, we know how to price ourselves. Yeah. If we were to go into our price book and just add a bunch more hours into all of our tasks, we'd probably sell more hours and we could technically lower our hourly rate, but the customer would then pay the exact same. Yes, they right? would. Even with a lower hourly rate. Yes, they would. So it's all relative, right? And it's not, and I w we should call it something else. We really should. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all relative. So when we think about an hourly rate and we're like, oh, we're charging them how much an hour? It's really the wrong way to think about it. It is, but I just don't know. I haven't spent you, the time to come up with a better way to I say know. it. You're just coming, you're, you're, you're coming up with a metric to like say, okay, this is how much, and I like to think about it like this. Our expenses are a direct representation of the value that we're bringing into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So if you go through all of your expenses and you're, you don't have any expenses that don't bring your customer more value, then your value is directly represented by your, what it costs you to bring that value to the marketplace. Um, and then you're just taking that value and boiling it down to a metric that you can measure mm -hmm. via hour, hourly rate, right? And so that's a direct representation of the value that you bring to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So like <clears throat> in your instance where you're undervaluing yourself, it's because you didn't have a clear idea of like what it actually costs for a business owner to bring that value to the marketplace at some sort of scale. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I had no idea. Yeah. I, I mean, I was partially interested in how, that. How long did it take you? Sorry to interrupt. But no, good. How long did it take you to like really like own that? Um, that was uh, that was kind of one of those fake it until you make it type things. Like like okay, so this this number was way higher than I ever expected it to be. Uh -huh. um, but and I like wanted to push back on it because I had no idea. Yeah. Um, because that's not the way that we used to do it. And so yep. I wanted to push back on it. Um, but I told myself, you don't know. You know, remember when you were upset on day two because you had no <laughs> idea what you were doing? Yep. You still don't know what you're doing. So, yes, that number is not what you're used to, but just, just leave that. Don't worry about that for now. Just worry about the other things. And it's always that's always was on the back of my mind, like in my – list of things to do was understand why the rate is that much, uh, understand why we charge that much. And so 
it was almost like I had to fill in all of those gaps with with the other facts of the business before I could really accept that. Um, and and such as how much it is that we have to pay for insurance, vehicle insurance yeah. every year for for uh, workman's comp insurance every year um, and really get a better grasp on what all of the expenses are and then see what that formula is, how we came to that number. Yeah. Um, and, and there's really only one way to do that math problem, and it is a very simple math problem in that draw up your list of what it is you want to give the customer, figure out how much it costs to do that, and divide that by how much how many hours in a year you can do that, and then you know, right? Yeah. Super simple, <clears throat> yep. um, but I had no idea at the time. And so I just needed to forget about that number, like don't worry about that number or how, why that number is what it is for yep. a while until you understood these other parts of it. And then once I understood those other parts, then I got to looking at that number and I'm like, <laughs> today i wonder is that high enough i know sometimes uh, we still talk about like well maybe we need to charge more dude <clears throat> that, yeah yeah it's funny yeah it took a bit it took a lot of doing uh um but it was one of those things that i don't understand but i knew that i didn't have to understand it today right. i don't need to know why today yep. i need to know that it is fine that's what it is um and then and then give it time to figure out um, if I can agree with it, if I can kind of understand that. Um, and then with, it took some time to do, Mm -hmm. um, it took more knowledge is what it took, um, of, of what all the expenses were for me to really understand that. And then, and then understanding the value that we give. So with all of these expenses every year, what do we deliver to the customer for that dollar amount, yep. and is it worth it? If it's not worth it, then sweet, start cutting things. What is it you're going to cut? Yeah, um, and who? Like a good question is who decides if it's worth it? It's not me. It's not you. It's the customer. The customer that decides right. whether or not it's worth yep. all of that. Yeah, um, we can dream up our own sweet ideas and. And pitch that to the customer, and if the customer says, "I never asked for any of that," right. then who's wrong? Us or the customer? We think our baby's adorable, right? We yeah. think that there's nothing wrong with this, and what we built is perfect. But if the customer never asked for it, yep. then what you built is ugly and disgusting. Yep, they don't want it. Um, that's what's important. Yes. Um, however the customers that don't want what it is that we're offering, maybe they don't know what at all it is that we're offering. Maybe they can't appreciate everything or they don't use everything that we offer. Now whose fault is it? Is it the customer's fault because they don't appreciate what we're doing? Right. Or is it our fault because we didn't tell them what we're doing? Right. We're asking them to pay this price, but they don't know what we're doing. Why would I pay that? Yeah. Um, If we built this business that provides great value to the customer and the customer never knows about that value whose fault is that not theirs nope that was our fault we should have told them that there is all of this value with it yes um 
Yeah. If you and if you don't want to be that price, start cutting stuff, dude. Get rid of that stuff that you don't want to deliver, or that your customer doesn't want or doesn't appreciate. Yeah. Um, but you have to maintain your standard of your, you the business owner or manager or whoever's making these decisions. You have to maintain your minimum standard of this is what we're going to deliver to our customer. And if you start cutting stuff and you fall below that standard, uh, the lame part, <clears throat> the really lame part with a plumbing business. So imagine if we just, and I've actually done the math on this. If we drove older used vans, we didn't wrap our vehicles. We spent way less on advertising. We didn't pay our guys as much. We would offer such a like lower value product, but the reality is we wouldn't be able to cut lower our hourly rate very much, right? So much that those that don't appreciate <clears throat> it now all of a sudden appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Because the reality is like you're in the business of plumbing and it's freaking expensive. Right mm -hmm. to be in that business, yeah. And so the difference between like offering mediocre service and offering premium service, the premium service only costs you a little bit Just more to offer, more. right? Yeah. But yet, it's so much more worth it to that customer who wants it. Mm -hmm. And that's like where the sweet spot is, and that's where people miss. They're always trying to cut their expenses, and it ends up hurting their service. Mm -hmm. And then they never, they never like build a customer base of high quality customers who want good premium service yeah <clears throat> what's funny is like i always thought that that like i always thought that there was customers out there that want premium service and they look for it when they go search for it mm -hmm. and so when we do the marketing in our company we try to attract those kinds of customers the best we can i didn't realize the extent of which and i think i was telling you this the other day that the cheap customers who want the cheap plumber they go search for the cheap plumber mm -hmm. until I did a reel. I did a reel on, on, uh, I think it was about driving old vans and, and looking like a professional company in your marketing to attract the right kind of customer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I had so many plumbing customers, not ours, just plumbing customers all over the world, mm -hmm. all over the United States comment on that video. If I see you've got a nice new van and they're nicely wrapped, I'm not calling you cause I know I'm paying for that. And I'm like, wow, I didn't realize they were looking for. So if you're the plumber that's out there, you've got your used van, you know, jankety blue and white logo. And you on your GMB, somebody looks you up and they see an old nasty van and a crappy logo. And they want to call that guy on purpose? They're calling you because they think you're cheap. They're uh, Not everybody, sure. but a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Like I was flabbergasted at how many, it's a good word, huh? Yeah. At how many people commented on that video that they are specifically looking for the cheap plumber, right? It was crazy. And what's that <clears throat> going to do in the end? The cheap plumber is going to get them, allow them to keep a few extra bucks in their wallet. Yep. And they don't care about how it turns out. Yep. Man. I, I think that if, if those people knew what they were supporting when they hire that cheap plumber, I get it. They don't want to spend a bunch of money on plumbing, or maybe they can't sure. afford it. But I think that if they knew what, if they cared at all about what their money supports and they knew what it was supporting, they would not want to support that. I would guess not. Whether or not that would change their buying decision or not, I don't know. But right. I think if we could educate all of those customers on like, <clears> hey, <throat> when you're calling the cheap guy, 
who's charging you $140 an hour, you are enabling somebody to continue to run a poopy business where his employees aren't taken care of, where he's not taken care of, where his mm-hmm. family isn't taken care of. And he's really not that productive of a member of society, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're allowing him to continue to run a crappy business. Dude, that, and it's hurting everybody else except for the customer. Those trucks that they drive, not maintained well, bashed inside panels. And yep. I mean... If you had a few more bucks, would you would you take care of your van? Could you could I trust that you could stop at this light coming up here? Yep. Uh yeah, those things that one that we were talking about the other day, it was beat and run down, <laughs> looking like trash. Yeah. Like I would Yeah, that that should imply some liability. Like when you see that thing roll up, you should never wonder, dude, is this gonna go okay? Right. You should always Say, oh, this is this is gonna be just fine. Yep, I get it. Not having a lot of money, um, and and I get making those decisions. I I gotta go with the cheap guy because of whatever. But yep. I can't tell you how many times I paid for that in the long run yeah. because I hired the cheap guy to <laughs> yeah. do a, a thing, and then I had to redo it or get somebody else to do it. Or we just yeah. had a dude in the office not long ago. Um, he he kicked us out of his house because the estimate we wrote was way higher than an estimate he got somewhere else. Yep. He and he he kicked our tech out, told him to leave, get your stuff, get out of here. This number is ridiculous. He was offended by the number. Yep. Um we didn't do any work for him, but he was offended by the estimate that he asked us to write. Then he came into the office um 4 months later and wanted to talk to me about that estimate. Um, and so he, he came in like, uh, wanted to be super careful, um, and not really wanting to reveal his hand too much. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, after a bit of conversation, uh, come to find out that he hired that other company to do that work that was way less than us. Um, and he's back because Number one, they didn't fix it right. It's not running like it's supposed to, and he can't get the guy on the phone to come over and do what he wants done. Yep. What was originally talked about. The wiring looks like trash and 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 it was a uh, it was tough to get that information out of him because he he just kicked us out of his house because yeah. our number was not what he liked. Um and hired this other guy that he was bragging about this sweet deal he was about to get, but he ended up not getting a sweet deal at all. Yeah, He came back to us, and we ended up having to redo some of the stuff that the other guy, that he paid the other guy to do. And that's not, it doesn't always work out like you think no. it's going to work out. Nope. Sometimes you got to learn the hard way to learn it at all. Yeah. But. Yeah, he ended up actually just getting a raw deal. Yeah. <clears throat> really, because now he's yeah. got this subpar product that he probably paid more than it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Yeah, and it's like I, we had these guys mm-hmm. come to our patio and um, I think we, we went, my wife went down to the people who have the, I can't remember what that's called, the, I think it's called hardscape. So it's okay. like the, the patio bricks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went down to the place that sells the, the bricks or whatever they're called and asked for some people like we didn't know who to call we looked up like custom patio on the internet and nobody mm-hmm. was coming up <clears throat> didn't know to look up hardscape right which is a lesson to any patio people 
There's a there's don't an advertise hardscape. Advertise like custom patio or something, right? right? Um, you got to meet your customer where you're at. But second thing is like we're down there, we're talking to them, we see the bricks, and and she's like, hey, who do I have install this stuff? They give her like ten business cards. Out of those ten people, one one person answered their phone. Lesson number two: answer mm-hmm. your phone. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm looking at all these business cards. None of them have a good logo. None of them have good branding. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to get some crazy dude out here. Finally, somebody answers our phone. We get him out here. He's got long, crazy hair. He's all dirty. And the whole time I'm thinking, I don't know if this guy is going to do a good job or not, number mm-hmm. one. And then I'm also, I don't trust that he's going to give me a fair and accurate price versus had he showed up in a nice truck fully wrapped with a nice uniform on clean cut and worked up a price on an iPad. Mm-hmm. I would have trusted number one, that he's going to do a good job. That's going to be a nice clean product. And if it isn't, they'll fix it. Mm-hmm. And number two, I would have trusted the price that he gave me would have been the same for my neighbor or the guy next door right. or anybody. Right. It was just based off based on some sort of facts, math in their iPad. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, but instead like, and I have no idea if the price he gave me was fair or whatever. Sure. He was the only guy that would answer his phone. So we hired him to do the job that the patio looks great. Mm-hmm. I have no idea if I overpaid for it or not. Sure. I still don't trust that he gave me like a real accurate price Careful based on price, numbers because yeah. I don't think he knew his numbers, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe I underpaid. I have no idea. But it's just, it was really cemented in my head even more like, oh, okay. So when a plumbing customer calls our company and we go out there in a nice wrapped van, and they see our van, it builds trust. Mm-hmm. They see our guy in a uniform, nice and clean, and we go in and we just pop up a price on the iPad that's pre-built. It's not a random guess. Well, mm-hmm. now it's they trust that the price would have been the same for their neighbor. They're not. We're not trying to screw them over. We're not trying to undercharge them. It's just a price of what it is, right? Yeah. And it's, fu- it's funny because like <clears throat> before I built the business, I'd never experienced anything like that. Cause I never had enough money to hire anybody to do anything. I always sure. did it myself. Yep. I would have been out there doing my own patio, not hiring somebody. Mm-hmm. And it was a good insight into like what our customers are thinking and how our customers feel. Dude. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think appearance, appearance of the technician mm-hmm. is underrated or like, um, uh, underappreciated by the technicians. Oh yeah. Um, uh, look at me. I'm not. I'm not uh, the definition of a home service technician. Um, uh, when I started getting tattooed, I wore long sleeves all the time, so nobody saw my tattoos. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but you, as the technician, at least for me, my experience going into people's houses, it was usually I was talking to the old lady. Uh-huh. Um, husband was out at work, or. Um, uh, she was staying at home with the kids or whatever. And so if you don't, if you can't present yourself in a way that's going to set her at ease as yep. soon as you walk up or pull up to her driveway, um, you've already made your job way more difficult than it needs to be. Oh, yeah. You're there to 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 ultimately sell her whatever your repair is. And the first her first impression of you getting out of your busted janky truck is look at his crazy hair and how filthy he is. Do I really want him walking through my house? Um, You really should 
that should be a huge priority for you. Yep. You should be clean. Your technician should be clean. Your van should be clean. You shouldn't open the door and have to pick up everything that falls out of it. Um, why is that overlooked? I like don't know. you got, they are at a huge disadvantage, especially if you're talking to the wife of the home who has no idea and doesn't want to know. That was my experience. Most most of the women had no idea what was going on, and they did not want to know what was going on with yeah. their heat. They just wanted to work. They want to be. They want to feel confident that you're going to get it to work. And yes. You're not going to rip them off in the process. Right. Yes. And so. So on your way up to the house, you ought to look, you ought to be working to look like you can bring exactly that. Yep. And if you don't look that way, then then how difficult is it going to be for you to sell that work? Yeah. You're going to assume they called your business because they want something fixed. They 100% want that thing fixed. And... And everything you do along the way that that does the opposite of instilling confidence that you can take care of that thing, your grade starts going down. Yep. And so over the phone, they were at 100%. I'm going to buy whatever you've got, right? Whatever your fix is. And then you show up looking like trash. Dude, hold on. There's so many people that just lose it on the phone. Yeah. I think, I <clears throat> like, just from my experience of... I feel like we really lucked out. Like mm-hmm. when we hired CSRs, we had CSRs that booked the call. Like you wouldn't, I've listened to lots of phone calls from other companies um, and it's unreal. The, they'll lose the, they'll lose all confidence on the phone. Even if they book the call, the yes. customer has completely lost confidence in this company before the technician ever even gets to the house. That's so not good. Now the tech's got a serious uphill battle to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like that is one area that we just really lucked out on. That we we had people that answered the phone that were professional, encouraging, positive, made the customer feel like, "Cool, I'm on the schedule. They're going to get me taken care of." Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, <clears throat> so then that customer is a hundred percent when they're still hear, hearing the ringing in the phone. Once they <laughs> dial the number, go. they're a hundred percent. Yes, but then. Whatever happens when your CSR answers is going to change that. Yes, could Un- change that. Oh yeah, totally, hundred percent. Okay, there's like I've heard contractors answering the phone like "hello," like their CSR is like "hello." No, and the no. customer's like, "Um, is this so and so?" Yeah, and they're like, um, "I'm not a buyer. I'm hanging up the phone. I need uh, my toilet fixed." Oh, okay, yeah. Um, let me look and see when we can get to you. No confidence whatsoever. Dude, right? that's terrible. <clears throat> and even if they end up booking the job, yeah, they booked the job, but did they instill that confidence in the customer? Absolutely not. Mm-mm. No way. Nope. That and so they're they're fighting an uphill battle right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very underrated portion of people's businesses. Yeah, for sure. So an area that needs a lot of work for <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Yeah, and we still like we have to do training with our CSRs and we're still finding holes in our system and still trying to be better at it. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of the deal. But yeah. um, not that we got it perfect, but I feel like we lucked out there. Sure. <laughs> like definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, but yeah, then you're right. Let's assume you do the phone call super well and the customer is still super confident in your business. Mm-hmm. And then you show up in an old beater white van no stickers, nothing on it. Confidence gone. Yep. 
even if you show up in a stickered van, tech rolls out, junk falls all over the ground. Cans He's all dirty. Out. He's tucking in his shirt as he walks up to the door, um, covered in dog hair. <laughs> uh, yeah. Confidence gone. Maybe not mm-hmm. the dog hair, but <clears throat> that was a jab at one of our guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, confidence gone, right? Then you go knock on the door and you aren't polite. Do you want to introduce yourself? Mm-hmm. Confidence gone. Like all those things. I always, like we have guys in our course and they're like, I can't sell any jobs. Like we're giving them the price and we're getting tons of price objection. Mm-hmm. Um, and they always want to go do more like sales training with their guys. And I'm like, guys, sales training is not your problem. The right. customer is sold before they call you. Mm-hmm. You're losing their confidence somewhere along the line. Yeah. And you need to go figure out where that is and fix that. Mm-hmm. And you'll start making sales. Yeah. It's not the it's not that they don't like your price. It's that they're not confident that you're giving them a fair and honest price. So you can deliver what it is can, they're looking for. And that you can deliver on what they're looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think <clears throat> technicians have to be able to sell themselves a little bit to the customer mm-hmm. um but i've never been a fan of like gimmicky sales shit i'm not into that i hate that i think the customer just sees that they know it they need to know that whatever it is that you're going to do that that they're confident that you can handle or that that your proposed fix is the fix yep it will solve whatever their issue is. Yep. Um, and that starts the minute you open your mouth. Yep. If you say something and and you're, I say I I believe that um, a great technician needs to have just a touch of arrogance, enough arrogance to know that when he walks into that situation, that house or that that commercial mechanical room or up to that rooftop or whatever it is, enough arrogance to know that this is a machine built by human beings. I'm a human being. I can fix this machine. Yep. But enough humility to know that this one could make me look like an absolute idiot. If I'm not careful, this will make me look like an absolute idiot. And so your technician should have that mix. Everybody's got that mix arrogance to humility mix uh-huh. but very few of them are the right recipe very few of them are balanced right lots and lots of guys are are more than arrogant and no humility yep and and there are as many guys that are far too too much humility um too meek and too scared and no confidence and not enough arrogance to even want to take on a challenging job. So your guys have to have that right mix yep. um, of arrogance and humility. Yeah. Um, I've been punked by a lot of pieces of equipment before, and, <laughs> yep. and I hate it. But those are the ones that I learned the hardest on, um, and those lessons last forever. But your technician needs to have enough arrogance to know that I can fix anything. There's yeah. nothing these human built machines are going to get fixed by me a human. Yep. Um, but enough humility to know that I could look like an idiot at the end if I'm not careful. So then that should give you the be careful proceeding through this. Don't don't skip some step that's going to make you look like an idiot. And then after a few of those wins, then you're going to build that confidence enough to be able to talk to the customer like you need to. Yes. That's the sales tactic that I yep. use. Understand the equipment, 
And one thing that you taught me when I worked at Holiday Parks that I never thought of before was basically you would say, let the customer decide. So we give them the information Mm -hmm. and then we let them decide how they want to spend their money, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Rather than going to them and saying, hey, this is broken. We need to fix this and it's going to cost this much money. Mm -hmm. We should be going to them and educating them and saying, hey, this is what I found. Like, here's the symptoms that I found. Mm-hmm. All these symptoms lead me to believe that this is the problem. Um, here's the fix for that problem. Mm-hmm. How do you guys want to proceed? Yeah, what do you want right? to do with this? Yeah. Would you like to try and fix these problems to see if it fixes, solves this? Or sorry. Yeah. To see if it solves this, you know, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's such a better way to go about it. Because you're not backing them in a corner right. and telling them they have to spend their money this way. You're I hate letting that. you're letting them decide. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, here's the symptoms. Here's what we think is going on. I can spend this money and hopefully it'll fix this. Cool. I'm enough of a dork in that I I I love this mechanic and stuff, right? I uh-huh. love fixing equipment and and in order for me to be able to work on anything or really understand anything, I have to know why it does what it does or why it's designed like this. Um, And so I spent a lot of my years coming up in this trade, being punked by homeowners or equipment or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, And I hate that feeling. And so, so my fix for that is to just learn. I should learn everything Mm -hmm. about everything HVAC. And so I spent all my nights Literally, my first few years, my wife is pregnant, um, and she would like to spend time with me, but I'm reading books about this trade. Our baby's born. I took some time off. Our, our kid's born, and and I, I took some time off to help her, and that baby didn't want nothing to do with me. She wanted her mom, mm-hmm. which was great because now I got time to read books, and I read books while I was home with the, with the old lady helping her out with the baby. Um, and then, and then every time I came across something that I didn't understand, I bought a book and I read it, or I yeah. found it in a book and I read it. And my fix for all of those times where, where, um, I didn't understand what was going on was to read it in a book. And so when I deliver that hard news to a customer of this is going to be very expensive to fix, I would, and, and this wasn't a tactic or a technique I used to sell it. It's just, in order for me to have spent that kind of money, I need to know why it's why it needs to be fixed, like you're about to say. And so I would give that kind of background yep. of your problem. Your problem is this. And so when a pump, and it has to have these things in order to operate right, and I would get, and I would tell them up front, I love this type of stuff, so if I get into too much detail, just tell me to stop. But I want you to know what it is that's going on. And so I would start giving them the detail that they need to understand what the problem is. And yep. So once they understand what the problem is, now they can understand what the fix is. And then yep. my price that I'm about to give them is way easier to digest. Oh, yeah. They believe that what I just told them, that I have the knowledge to actually know what the problem is. I understand what's going on. Yep. If he understands why it's broken, he can fix it. And if he can fix it, I'm not going to have to worry about it again. Yep. And so... so that was always my approach, and it took a little bit longer to deliver that information. But for me, it's way more palatable than, hey, it's broken, it's going to cost you four grand to fix. Yep. 
I ain't buying nothing from you. It's what happened to it? Why did it break? Tell yeah. me why it broke and how you're going to keep it from doing it again. And then, and then we can go from there. Yep. And you're playing into the psychology, probably without even realizing it, you're playing into the fact that you're giving the customer what they want. Right. So rat, they don't want, they don't necessarily just want this broken part fixed. Mm-hmm. They could care less if it's fixed or not. Right. What they really care about is, um, is, am I going to be, they want to be confident that what you're going to do is they're not going to have to call you back. Right. right? They could care less about the actual part. They mm-hmm. want the symptom fixed mm-hmm. and they want to know that it's going to be fixed good. Right. And they're not going to have to call you back and spend more money on you. Yep. That's the, that's the thing to overcome for every technician fixing yeah. something in the field. It's not about the, it has nothing to do with the plumbing or the heating or the electrical or whatever. It has mm-hmm. everything to do with how the customer feels. Yeah. Or how the giving the customer what they actually want. Mm-hmm. The customer doesn't care about their plumbing. They don't care if their plumbing's there or not. They just care. Like, for instance, they care that a toilet flushes their poop away. They could care less that there's a how pipe there yeah. or or whatnot, right? Um, they don't care if the pipe's broken, if it still flushes their poop away. Who cares, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We've seen that. They just care that the poop gets flushed away. Mm-hmm. So if you can go in and instill confidence that you're going to make sure that their poop goes away for the next 10 years and they're not going to have a problem with it, mm-hmm. that's what they want. Yep. They don't care about anything else. Correct. Yes. Yeah, and it, and your technicians can't instill that confidence without the knowledge of how this thing works inside and out. They have to yeah. know. Yep. Now imagine they know inside and out, but they look like that janky dude we were talking about before. Yep. How is he going to sell that to, to the old lady of the house? They already she, lost it. She's not going to... Okay, he knew what he was doing, but God, I felt so uncomfortable. I'm glad my kids were upstairs yeah. because no woman should feel like that when you show up to her house. They should yep. feel like, oh, this guy looks like he's put together. I probably... He's not going to run off with any of my stuff. Yep. Um, the family's safe with this guy in the garage working on whatever. Yep. And if you don't have that, but you have the ability to explain it, maybe you'll sell some stuff. If you don't have the ability to explain it, but you look okay, maybe you'll sell some stuff. You combine the two and it's rock star. Yeah. 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 Why? You have to, in yep. my opinion. That lady's vulnerable. The homeowner, whoever it is, doesn't have to be a lady. It could be a dude. Um, doesn't know what he's what he's working on. They're in a vulnerable spot in that you have the solution to their problem, um, and they know that whatever you say, if they buy it from you, they are at your mercy. Um, recognize that they're in that vulnerable spot, and then just don't don't take advantage of them. <laughs> yeah. Just be good to them. Give don't. them what it is that they want. Yeah, don't get all salesy and yeah, junk like that. I hate it. I hate that gimmicky stuff. Yeah, I'm not into it. No, I, I don't think it works. I don't think it works either. I don't think it works. I think you have to honestly go into somebody's house and you have to build a relationship with that person, mm-hmm. and you have to set yourself apart as the professional. You have to give them honest, quality information about their system. Yeah, yeah. We've all dealt with that stupid sales guy with his stupid sales pitches. Yeah. The dude last yeah. night trying to sell us sunglasses. Oh. Wanted to talk to me about <laughs> yeah. my 
Oh, by I'm the a, way, I'm a real estate agent too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was awkward. So awkward. <laughs> You're not gonna call that guy. Nope. Not gonna happen. <laughs> not for anything. Nope. <clears throat> Probably never buy sunglasses from him again. <laughs> never <either>. buy another <laughs> pair of sunglasses from that guy in my life. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Well, cool. That was a good combo. Yeah. We should do it again sometime. Yeah, we should. Okay. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's a good time. Yeah, I dude. appreciate the hospitality and. This guy made me breakfast this morning. Dude, it was amazing. Breakfast master. Dude, bacon was cooked perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. Um, I'm down. I like doing this type of stuff. I There's no reason for me, like I said, I got no idea what it is I'm doing as a general manager, at least to start with. I feel I feel good now. I like the way it's going now. Um, I've grown so much since I started working for you. Um, uh like I said, I felt like I was at the peak and I was at, at the very perimeter of what I could do mm-hmm. um, in my career, yep. um, which was really limiting what I could do in my personal life too. Like yep. I, I was at the, I, I had grown too big for, or or at my limit of where I could grow there. You didn't have for shoes sure. big enough to fill. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and And coming over to work for you has been, Dude, it's been a challenge in areas, but it's been I I love a good challenge. Yep. That was one of the things I was worried about coming to work for you as a yep. general manager is am I going to be challenged anymore? I'm not working on difficult control systems or mm-hmm. anything like that anymore. Is there going to be any challenge for me or am I just going to be bored all day at work and Yeah. That has not been the case. Now you're just challenged in a different way. Challenged in a completely different <clears throat> way. And it's stuff that's not near as easy to solve as like mechanical equipment. So yeah. it's quite a bit yeah, dealing with people is harder than dealing with equipment. It really, really is. Because now your equipment has emotions. And there's no manual. And every person has their own way yep. of being talked to. And, yeah, there's no paperwork on that. Yeah, it's cool. Well, yeah, it's been cool having you. I couldn't do what I do without you there. So uh, I'm glad there's a spot for me, for yeah. sure. And we're just getting started. Yeah, man. It's cool. Let's go from here. Cool, man. See ya. See you, dude. Appreciate you having me on.